0: Welcome to Volume 10 of The Mating Season. Chapter 25 In dishing up this narrative for family consumption, it has been my constant aim throughout to get the right word in the right place and to avoid fobbing the customers off with something weak and inexpressive when they have a right to expect the telling phrase. It means a bit of extra work, but one has one's code. We will therefore expunge that Came at the conclusion of the previous spasm and substitute for it curvetted. There was a flash of pink and Esmond Haddock curvetted in. I don't know if you have ever seen a fellow curvet, but warhorses used to do it rather freely in the old days. And Esmond Haddock was doing it now. His booted feet spurned the carpet in a sort of rhythmic dance, something on the lines of that of the recent Poppy Kegley Bassington and it scarcely needed the ringing hunting cries which he uttered to tell me that here stood a bird who was about as full of beans and bark as a bird could be. I hello Esmond did, and invited him to take his seat, and he stared at me in an incredulous sort of way.
1: "'You don't seriously think that on this night of nights I can sit down?' he said. "'I don't suppose I shall sit down again for months and months and months. It's only by the exercise of the greatest willpower that I'm keeping myself from floating up to the ceiling. Yoikes! He proceeded, changing the subject. Hark forward, tally
0: ho, loo 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 loo! It had become pretty plain by now that Jeeves and I, while budgeting for a certain uplift of the spirit as a result of the success on the concert platform, had underestimated the heavy results of a popular triumph watching this haddock as he coveted and listening to his animal cries i felt that it was lucky for him that my old buddy sir roderick glossop did not happen to be among those present that zealous loony doctor would long ere this have been on the telephone summoning horny-handed assistants to rally round with the straight waistcoat and dust off the padded cell well be that as it may i said after he had lulu loo looed for perhaps another minute and a quarter I should like before going any further to express my gratitude to you for your gallant conduct in taking on those poems of mine. Was everything all right?
1: Terrific.
0: No mob violence? Not a scrap. They ate them up. That's good. One felt that you were solidly established with the many headed that you would be in no real danger. Still, you were taking a chance, and thank heaven that all has ended well. I don't wonder your buck i said interrupting him in a fresh outbreak of lulu-looing anyone would be after making the sort of hit you did you certainly wowed them he paused in his coveting to give me another incredulous look my
1: good gussie
0: he said
1: you don't think i'm floating about like this just because my song got over aren't you certainly not
0: then why do you float
1: because of corky of course
0: good lord he said, smiting his brow and seeming a moment later to wish he hadn't, for he had caught at a rather juicy wallop.
1: "'Good Lord, I haven't told you, have I? And that'll give you a rough idea of the sort of dude I'm in, because it was simply in order to tell you that I came here. You aren't abreast, Gussie. You haven't heard the big news. The most amazing front-page stuff has been happening, and you know nothing about it. Let me tell you the whole story.' "'Do,' I said.'
0: adding that I was a gog. He simmered down a bit, not sufficiently to enable him to take a seat, but enough to make him cheese the curvetting for a while.
1: I wonder, Gussie, if you remember a conversation we had the first night you were here. To refresh your memory, it was the last time we were allowed to get at the port. The occasion when you touched up the lyrics of my Aunt Charlotte's in such a masterly way, strengthening the weak spots and making it box office. Do you recall... I said I recalled. In the course of that conversation, I told you that Corky had given me the brusheroo. Do you recall? Yes, I said I recalled. Well, tonight, you know, Gussie. He said breaking off. It's the most extraordinary sensation, swaying a vast audience.
0: Would you call it a vast audience? The question seemed to ruffle him.
1: Well, the two-bob-shilling-and-eight-penny-seat were all sold out, and there must have been fully... Fifty threepenny standees at the back. He said a bit stiffly. Still, it a fairly vast audience, if you prefer, it makes no difference to the argument. It's the most extraordinary sensation, swaying a fairly vast audience. It does something to you, it fills you with a sense of power. It makes you feel that you're a pretty hot number, and that you aren't going to stand any nonsense from anyone and under the head of nonsense you find yourself classing girls giving you the brusheroo. I mention this so that you'll be able to understand what follows. I smiled, one of my
0: subtle smiles. I know what follows. You got hold of Corky and took a strong line. Why, yes. He said, seeming a little flattened.
1: As a matter of fact, that was what I was leading up to. How did you guess?
0: I smiled another subtle one. I foresaw what would happen if you slew that fairly vast audience. I knew you were one of those birds on whom popular acclamation has sensational effects. Yours has been a repressed life, and you have no doubt a marked inferiority complex. The tears of the multitude frequently act like a powerful drug upon bimbos with inferiority complexes. I had rather expected this to impress him, and it did. His lower jaw fell a notch, and he gazed at me in a reverent sort of way.
1: "'You're a deep thinker, Gussie.'
0: "'I always have been. From a child.' "'One wouldn't suspect it, just to look at you.' "'It doesn't show on the surface, yes,' I said. "'Getting back to the res, "'matters have taken precisely the course which I anticipated. "'With the cheers of the multitude ringing in your ears, "'you came off that platform a changed man, "'full of yeast and breathing flame through the nostrils. "'You found Corky, you backed her into a corner.' You pulled a dominant male on her and fixed up everything, right?
1: Yes, that was just what happened. Amazing how you got it all taped out. Oh, well,
0: one studies the psychology of the individual, you
1: know. Only I didn't back her into a corner. She was in her car, just driving off somewhere, and I shoved my head at the window.
0: And? Oh, we kidded back and forth. He said a little awkwardly. As if reluctant to reveal what had passed at that sacred scene, I told her
1: she was the lone star of my life, and all, all that sort of thing, adding that I intended to have no more rot about her not marrying me, and after a bit of pressing, she came clean and admitted that I was the tree on which the fruit of her life hung.
0: Those who know Bertram Worcester best are aware that he is not an indiscriminate backslapper; he picks and chooses. But there was no question in my mind that here before me stood a back, which it would be childish for me not to slap. So I slapped it. Nice work, I said. Then everything's all right. Yes. He assented.
1: Everything's fine, except for one small detail.
0: What is that in round
1: numbers? Well I don't quite know if you'll understand. To make it clear, I shall have to go back to that time when we were engaged before. She severed relations then because she considered that I was a bit too much under the domination of my aunts, and she didn't
0: like it. Well, of course I knew this, having had it from her personal lips. But I wore the mask and weighed in with a surprised, really?
1: Yes, and unfortunately she hasn't changed her mind. Nothing doing in the orange blossom and wedding cake line, she says, until I have defied my aunts.
0: Well, go ahead, defy them. My words seem to displease him. With a certain show of annoyance, he picked up a statuette of a shepherdess on the mantelpiece and hurled it into the fireplace, reducing it to hash and removing it from the active list.
1: It's all very well to say that. It's a thing that presents all sorts of technical difficulties. You can't just walk up to an aunt and say, I defy you. You need a cue of some sort. I'm dashed if I know how to set it about.
0: I mused. I'll tell you what I said seems to me that here is a matter on which you would do well to seek advice from Jeeves. Jeeves? My
1: man! I thought your man's name was Meadows.
0: A slip of the tongue, I said hastily. I meant to say Worcester's man. He's a bird of extraordinary sagacity and never fails to deliver the goods. He frowned a bit.
1: Doesn't one rather want to keep visiting valets out of this?
0: No! One does not want to keep visiting valets out of this, I said firmly Not when they're Jeeves If you didn't live all the year round in this rural morgue You know that Jeeves isn't so much a valet as a Mayfair consultant The highest in the land bring their problems to him I shouldn't wonder if they didn't give him jeweled snuff boxes
1: And you think he would have something to
0: suggest? He always has something to suggest In that case, I'll go find him with a brief "lulu," loo, loo, loo he pushed off, clicking his spurs. I settled down to another cigarette and a pleasant reverie. Really, I told myself, things were beginning to straighten out. Neverall Hall still housed, no doubt, its quota of tortured souls, but the figure showed a distinct downward trend. I was all right. Gussie was all right. It was only on the cat's meat front that the outlook was still unsettled, and the bluebird a bit slow in picking up its cues. I pondered on Cat'smeat's affairs for a while, then turned to the more agreeable theme of my own. I was still doing so, feeling more braced every moment when the door opened. There was no flash of pink this time, because it wasn't Esmond, home from the hunt. It was Jeeves.' "'I have extricated Mr.
1: Finknottle from his beard, sir,'
0: he said, looking modestly pleased with himself, like a man who has fought the good fight. And I said, yes,' Gussie had been paying me a neighbourly call, and I had noticed the absence of the fungoid growth. He told me to tell you to pack his things and send them on. He's gone back to London.
1: Yes, sir. I saw Mr. Finknottle and received his instructions in person.
0: Did he tell you why he was going to London? No, sir. I hesitated. I yearned to share the good news with him, but I was asking myself if it wouldn't involve banding a woman's name. As I've explained earlier, Jeeves and I do not bandy women's names. I put out a feeler. You've been seeing a good deal of Gussie recently, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Constantly together, swapping ideas, what? Yes, sir. I wonder if by any chance, in some moment of expansiveness, if that's the word, he ever happened to let fall anything that gave you the impression that his heart, instead of sticking like glue to Wimbledon, had skidded a bit in another direction?
1: Yes, sir. Mr. Finknottle was good enough to confide in me regarding the emotions which Miss Pierbright had
0: aroused in his bosom. He spoke freely on the subject. Good. Then I can speak freely, too. All that's off. Indeed, sir. Yes, he came down from that tree feeling that Corky's not the dream-mate he had supposed it to be. The scales fell from his eyes. He still admires her many fine qualities and considers that she would make a good wife for Sinclair Lewis, but—
1: Precisely, sir. I must confess that I had rather anticipated some such contingency. Mr. Finknautle is of the quiet domestic type that enjoys a calm, regular
0: life, and
1: Miss Pierbright is perhaps somewhat.
0: More than somewhat! Considerably more! He sees that now! He realizes that association with young Corky— "'though having much to be said for it, "'must inevitably lead in the end "'to a five-year stretch in Wormwood Scrubs, "'or somewhere, "'and his object in going to London tonight "'is to get a good flying start "'for an early morning trip to Wimbledon Common tomorrow. "'He's very anxious to see Miss Bassett as soon as possible. "'No doubt they will breakfast together, "'and having downed a couple of rashes and a pot of coffee, saunter side by side through the sunlit grounds.' "'Most gratifying, sir.' "'Most! And I'll tell you something else that's gratifying. "'Esmond Haddock and Corky are engaged.' "'Indeed, sir.' "'Provisionally, perhaps, I ought to say.' "'And I sketched out for him the set-up at the moment of going to press. "'I advised him to consult you,' I said. "'And he went off to find you. "'You see the position, Jeeves. "'As he rightly says, however much you may want to defy a bunch of ants, "'you can't get started unless they give you something to defy them about.' what we want is some situation where they're saying go like the chap in the bible instead of going he cometh if you see what i mean
1: i interpret your meaning exactly sir and i will devote my best thought to the problem meanwhile i fear i must be leaving you sir i promised to help my uncle charlie serve the refreshments in the drawing room scarcely your
0: job jeeves no sir But one is glad to stretch a point to oblige a relative. Blood is thicker than water, you mean. Precisely, sir. He withdrew, and about a minute later, Esmond blew in again, looking baffled, like a master of hounds who has failed to locate the fox. I can't
1: find the blighter,
0: he said. He has just this moment left. He's gone to the drawing room to help push around the sandwiches.
1: And that's where we ought to be, my lad. We're a bit late.
0: He was right. Silversmith, whom we encountered in the hall, informed us that he had just shown out the last batch of alien guests, the Kegley-Bassington gang, and that apart from the members of the family, only the vicar, Miss Pierbright, and what he called the Young Gentleman, a very loose way of describing my cousin Thomas, remained on the burning deck. Esmond exhibited pleasure at the news, saying that now we should have a bit of elbow room.
1: Smooth work missing those stiffs, Gussie. What England needs is fewer and better kegley Bassingtons. You agree with me, Silversmith? I fear I have not formulated an opinion on the subject, sir. Silversmith,
0: said Esmond,
1: You're a pompous old ass.
0: And as incredible as it may seem, he poised a finger and with a cheery yikes, drove it into the other's well-covered ribs. And it was as the stricken butler reeled back and totted off, with an incredulous stare of horror in his gooseberry eyes, no doubt to restore himself with a quick one in the pantry, that Dame Daphne came out of the drawing room. Esmond, she said in the voice which in days gone by had reduced so many Janes and Myrtles and Gladyses to tearful pulp in the old study. Where have you been? It was a situation which, in the pre-Hello, Hello epic, would have had Esmond Haddock tying himself into apologetic nuts and perspiring at every pore. And no better evidence of the changed conditions prevailing in the soul of King Deverell's Bing Crosby could have been afforded than by the fact that his brow remained unmoistened and he met her eye with a pleasant smile.
1: Oh, hello, Aunt Daphne.
0: He said. Where
1: are you off to?
0: I'm going to bed. I have a headache. Why are you so late, Esmond?
1: Well, if you ask me... Said Esmond cheerily. I'd say it was because I didn't arrive sooner.
0: Colonel and Mrs. Kegley Bassington were most surprised. They could not understand why you were not here. Esmond uttered a ringing laugh. Then you must
1: be the most priceless of fatheads. He said. You think a child would have realized that the solution was that I was somewhere else? Come along, Gussie.
0: Lulu loo, 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 he added in a dispassionate sort of way, and led me into the drawing room. Even though the drawing room had been cleansed of Kegley Bassingtons, it still gave the impression of being fairly well filled up. Four aunts, Corky, Young Thomas, Gertrude Winkworth, and the Reverend Sidney Peerbright might not be absolute capacity, but it was not at all what you would call a poor house. Add Esmond and Self and Jeeves and Queenie moving to and fro with refreshments, and you have quite a quorum. I had taken a couple of sandwiches, sardine, off Jeeves, and was lolling back in my chair, feeling how jolly this all was, when Silversmith appeared in the doorway, still pale after his recent ordeal. He stood to attention and inflated his chest.
1: Constable Dobbs.
0: He announced...
1: Chapter 26
0: The reactions of a gaggle of coffee and sandwich chewers in the drawing-room of an aristocratic home who, just as they are getting down to it, observe the local flatty muscling in through the door, very according to what Jeeves calls the psychology of the individual. Thus, while Esmond Haddock welcomed the newcomer with a genial lulu loo and the ants raised their eyebrows with a good deal of to what are we indebted for the honour of this visitness? And the vicar drew himself up austerely, suggesting in his manner that one crack out of the zealous officer about Jonah and the whale, and he would know what to do about it. Gertrude Winkworth, who had been listless, continued listless. Silversmith preserved the detached air which butlers wear on all occasions, and the parlor maid queenie turned pale and uttered a stifled ooh. "'giving the impression of a woman on the point of wailing for her demon lover. "'I personally put in a quick bit of gulping. "'The mood of bien-être left me, "'and I was conscious of a coolness about the feet. "'When the run of events has precipitated, as Jeeves would say, "'a situation of such delicacy as existed at Deverell Hall, "'it jars you to find the place filling up with rosers. "'It was to Esmond Haddock that the constable directed his opening remark.'
1: I've come on an unpleasant errand, sir,"
0: he said, and the chill in the Worcester feet became accentuated.
1: "But before I
0: go into that there," he proceeded, now addressing himself to the Reverend Sidney Peerbright. "there's
1: this here. I wonder if I might have a word with you, sir, on a spiritual
0: subject." I saw the sainted Sydney stiffen, and knew that he was saying to himself, "Here it comes."
1: It's in reference to having seen the light, sir.
0: Somebody gave a choking gasp, like a Pekinese that has taken on a chump-chop too large for its frail strength. And looking around, I saw that it was Queenie. She was staring at Constable Dobbs, wide-eyed and parted-lipped. This choking gasp might have attracted more attention had it not dead-heated with another, equally choking, which proceeded from the thorax of Reverend Sidney. He too was staring wide-eyed, "'he'd look like the vicar "'who has just seen the outsider "'on whom he has placed his surplice "'knows its way through the throng of runners "'and flash in the lead past the judge's box.' Dobbs, what did you say? "'You've seen the light?' "'I could have told the officer "'that he was a chump to nod "'so soon after taking that juicy one "'on the napper "'from the serviceable rubber instrument. "'But he did so, "'and the next thing he said was, "'Ouch! "'But the English policeman,' is made of splendid stuff, and after behaving for a moment like a man who has just swallowed one of Jeeves' morning specials, he resumed his normal air, which was that of a stuffed gorilla.
1: Oh. He said, And I'll tell you how it came about, sir. On the evening of the 23rd, in well, tonight, as a matter of fact, I was proceeding about my duties, chasing a marauder up a tree, when I was
0: unexpectedly struck by a thunderbolt. That, as might have been expected, went big. The Vicar said, A thunderbolt. And two of the Ants said, A thunderbolt. And Esmond Haddock said, Yoicks! Yes, sir, proceeded the Officer, A thunderbolt. Caught
1: me on the back of the head, it did, and hasn't half raised a lump. The Vicar said, Most extraordinary.
0: The two Ants tist tist, and Esmond Haddock said, Tally ho!
1: Well, sir, I'm no fool. Continued on as Dobbs. I can take a hint. Dobbs, I said to myself, no use kidding yourself about what this is, Dobbs. It's a warning from above, Dobbs. I said to myself, if it's got as far as thunderbolts, Dobbs, I said to myself, it's time you made a drastic revision of your spiritual outlook, Dobbs. I said to myself, so if you follow my meaning, sir, I've seen the light, And what I wanted to ask you, sir, was do I have to join the infant's Bible class or can I start
0: singing in the choir right away? I mentioned earlier in this narrative that I have never actually seen a shepherd welcoming a strayed lamb back into the fold. But watching Dame Daphne Winkworth on the occasion to which I allude, I had picked up a pointer or two about the technique. So I was able to recognize that this was what was going to happen now. You could see from his glowing eyes and benevolent smile, not to mention the hand raised as if about to bestow a blessing, that this totally unexpected reversal of form on the part of the local backslider had taken the Reverend Sidney's mind right off the church organ. I think that in another couple of ticks, he would have come across with something pretty impressive in the way of simple manly words. But, as it so happened, he had time to get set. Even as his lips parted, there was a noise like a rising pheasant from the outskirts and some solid object left the ranks and hurled itself on constable dobbs's chest closer inspection showed this to be queenie she was clinging to the representative of the law like a poultice and from the fact that she was saying oh, ernie and be his uniform with happy tears i deduced being pretty shrewd that what she was trying to convey was that all was forgiven and forgotten and that she was expecting the prompt return of the ring, the letters, and the china ornament with a present from Blackpool on it. And as it did not escape my notice that he on his side was covering her upturned face with burning kisses and saying, "Oh, Queenie, I gather that tortured souls preferred had taken another upward trend and that one could chalk up on the slate two more sundered hearts reunited in the springtime. These tender scenes affect different people in different ways, I myself, realising Catsmeat's honourable obligations to this girl might now be considered cancelled, was definitely bucked by the spectacle, but the emotion aroused in Silversmith was plainly a shuddering horror that such goings-on should be going on in the drawing-room of Deveril Hall. Pulling a quick stern father, he waddled up to the happy pair and with a powerful jerk of the wrist detached his child and led her from the room. Constable Dobbs, though still dazed, recovered himself sufficiently to apologise for this display of naked emotion, and the Reverend Sidney said he quite, quite understood. Come and see me tomorrow, Dobbs," he said benevolently, and we will have a long talk. Very good, sir. And now, said Reverend Sidney, I think I will be wending my way homeward. Will you accompany me, Cora? Corky said she thought she would stick on for a bit and Thomas, keenly allowed to the fact that there were still stacks of sandwiches on tap, also declined to shift. So he beamed his way out of the room by himself, and it was only after the door had closed that I realised that Constable Dobbs was still standing there, and remembered that his opening words had been that he had come upon an unpleasant errand. Once more the temperature of the feet fell, and I eyed him askance. He was not long in getting down to the agenda. These flatties are trained to snap into it.
1: "'Sir?'
0: He said, addressing Esmond. Esmond interrupted to ask him if he would like a sardine sandwich, and he said, "'No, sir, thank you.' And when Esmond said that he did not insist on sardine, but would be equally gratified if the other would wade into the ham, tongue, cucumber or potted meat, explained that he would prefer to take no nourishment of any kind, because this unpleasant errand he had come on. Apparently, when policemen come on unpleasant errands, they lay off the vitamins.' "'I'm looking for Mr. Worcester,
1: sir,'
0: he said. "'In the ecstasy of this recent reunion with the woman he loved, "'I imagine that Esmond had temporarily forgotten how much he disliked Gussie, "'but at these words it was plain that all the old distaste for one "'who had made passes at the adored object had come flooding back, "'for his eyes gleamed, his face darkened, and he did a spot of brown knitting. "'The sweet singer of King's Deverell had vanished.' leaving in his place the stern, remorseless justice of the peace. Worcester, eh? He said. I saw him lick his lips. You
1: wish to see him officially? Yes, sir. What has he been doing? Affecting burglarious entry, sir. Has he, by Jove? Yes, sir. On the 20th this evening, sir, a burglarious entry was effected by the accused into my police station and certain property of the Crown abstracted. To wit, one dog, which was in custody for having affected two bites. I copped him in the very act, sir. Said Constable Dobbs, simplifying his narrative style. He was the marauder that I was chasing up the trees at the moment when I was inadvertently struck by that thunderbolt.
0: Hasman continued to knit his brow. It was evident that he took a serious view of the matter. And when justices of the peace take serious views of matters, you want to get out from under.
1: "'You actually found him abstracting this to wit one dog?' "'He said keenly, looking like Judge Jeffries, is about to do his stuff.' "'Yes, sir. I came into the police station, "'and he was in the act of unloosing it and encouraging it to buzz off. "'It proceeded to buzz off, and I proceeded to say, "Ho!" Oh. whereupon becoming cognisant of my presence, "'he also proceeded to buzz off, with me after him lickety-split. "'I proceeded to pursue him up a tree,' and was about to effect an arrest when along came this here thunderbolt stunning me and depriving me of my senses when i came to the accused had departed and what makes you think it was worcester he was wearing a green beard sir and check suit this rendered him conspicuous i see he had not changed after his performance no sir hasman licked his lips again Well then, the first thing to do, he said, is to find Worcester. Has anyone seen him? Yes, sir. Mr. Worcester has gone to London
0: in his car. It was Jeeves who spoke, and Esmond gave him a rather surprised look. Who are you? He asked. My name is Jeeves,
1: sir. I am Mr. Worcester's personal attendant. Esmond eyed him with interest. Oh, you're Jeeves. I'd like a word with you, Jeeves, some time. Very good, sir. Not now, later on. Sir so Worcester has gone to London, has he? Yes, sir. Fleeing from justice, eh? No, sir. Might I make a remark, sir? Carry on, Jeeves. Thank you, sir. I merely wish to say that the officer is mistaken, and supposing that the miscreant responsible for the outrage was Mr. Worcester, I was continuously in Mr. Worcester's society from the time he left the concert hall. I accompanied him to his room, and we remained together until he took his departure for London. I was assisting him to remove his beard, sir. You mean you give him an alibi? A complete alibi,
0: sir. Oh, said Esmond, looking baffled, like the villain in a melodrama. One could sense that the realization that he was not to be able to dish out a sharp sentence on Gussie had cut him to the quick. Ho! said Constable Dobbs, not probably with an idea of contributing anything vital to the debate, but just because policemen never lose a chance of saying ho! Then suddenly a strange light came into his face and he said ho again, this time packing a lot of meaning into the word. Ho! He said.
1: And if it wasn't that accursed Worcester, it must have been the other chap, that fellow, Meadows, who was doing Mike, He was wearing a green beard, too.
0: Ah, oh. said Esmond. Ha! said the ants. Oh, said Gertrude Winkworth, starting visibly. Hoy! said Corky, also starting visibly. I must say, I felt like saying hoy, too. It astonished me that Cheeves had not spotted What must inevitably ensue if he gave Gussie that alibi? Just throwing Casme to the wolves, I mean to say. It was not like him to overlook a snag like that. I caught Corky's eye. It was the eye of a girl seeing a loved brother going down for the third time in the soup. And then my gaze swiveled round and picked up Gertrude Winkworth. Gertrude was plainly wrestling with some strong emotion. Her face was drawn, her bosom heaved, her fragile handkerchief "'torn by a sudden movement of the fingers, came apart in her hands. "'Hesman was being very justice of the PC.' "'Bring Meadows here,' he said curtly. "'Very good, sir.' "'said Jeeves, and pushed off. "'When he'd gone, the aunt started to question Constable Dobbs, demanding more details, "'and when it had been brought home to them that the dog in question was none other than the one— which had barged into the drawing-room on the night of my arrival and chased Aunt Charlotte to and fro, they were solidly in favour of Esmond, sentencing Meadows to the worst the tariff would allow, Aunt Charlotte being particularly vehement. They were still urging Esmond to display no weakness when Jeeves returned, ushering in cat's meat. Esmond gave him a bleak eye. Meadows. Yes, sir. You wish to speak to me?
1: I not only wish to speak to you, said Esmond nastily,
0: I wish to give you thirty days without the option. I heard Constable Dobbs snort briefly, and recognised his snort as a snort of ecstasy. The impression I received was that a weaker man not trained in the iron discipline of the force would have said whoopee! for just as Esmond haddock had got it in for Gussie for endeavouring to move in on Corky, so had Constable Dobbs got it in for Catmeat for endeavouring to move in on the parlourmaid Queenie. Both were strong men who believed in treating rivals roughly. Casmead seemed puzzled. I beg your pardon, sir. You heard. Said Esmond. He intensified the bleakness of his eye.
1: Let me ask you a few simple questions. You sustained the role of Pat in the Pat and Mike entertainment this evening. Yes, sir. You wore a green beard. Yes, sir. And a check suit.
0: Yes, sir. Then
1: you're in for it,
0: said Esmond crisply, and the four aunts said so they should think. Indeed, Aunt Charlotte going on to ask Edmund rather pathetically if 30 days was really all that the book of rules permitted. She'd been reading a story about life in the United States, and she said, and there, it seemed, even comparatively trivial offences rated 90. She was going to say that the whole trend of modern life in England was toward a planned Americanization, and the chief of one approved of this, feeling that we had much to learn from our cousins across the sea, when there was a brusque repetition of that rising pheasant effect which had preceded the Hobbs queenie one-act sketch, and the eye noted that Gertrude Winkworth had risen from her seat and precipitated herself into Catsmead's arms. No doubt she had picked up a hint or two from watching Queenie's work, for in its broad lines her performance was modelled on that of the recent parlour-maid, The main distinction was that whereas Silversmith Ewe Lamb had said, "'Oh, Ernie,' she was saying, "'Oh, Claude!' Esmond Haddock stared. "'Hello?' He said, adding another three hellos from force of habit. You might have thought that a fellow in Casmeat's position, faced with the prospect of going up the river for a calendar month, would have been too perturbed to have time for hugging girls.' And it would have scarcely surprised me if he had extricated himself from Gertrude Wickworth's embrace with a yes, yes, quite, but some other time, what? Not so, however. To clasp her to his bosom was, with him, the work of a moment, and you could see that he was regarding this as the important part of the evening's proceedings, giving him little scope for attending to justices of the peace. Oh, Gertrude, he said, be with you in a minute, he added to Esmond— Oh, Gertrude, he proceeded, once more addressing his remarks to the lovely Burden, and precisely as Constable Dobbs had done in a similar situation, he covered her upturned face with burning kisses. Eek, the aunt said, speaking as one aunt. I didn't blame them for being fogged and unable to follow the run of the scenario. It is unusual for a niece to behave toward a visiting valet, as their niece Gertrude was behaving as of even date, and if they squeaked like mice, I maintained that they had every right to do so. Theirs had been a sheltered life, and this was all new stuff to them. Esmond, too, seemed a bit not abreast. What's all this? He said, a remark which would have proceeded more fittingly from the lips of Constable Dobbs. In fact, I saw the officer shoot a sharp look at him, as if stung by this infringement of copyright. Corky came forward and slipped her arm through his. It was plain that she felt the time had come for a frank, manly explanation. It's my brother, Catsmeat, Esmond. What is? This is. What? That? Yes. He came here as a valet for love of Gertrude, and a darn good third reel situation, if you ask me. Esmond wrinkled his brow. He looked rather as he had done when discussing that story of mine with me on the night of my arrival. Let's go
1: into this. He said... Let's thresh it out. This character is not Meadows. No. He's not a valet. No. But he is your brother, Catsmeat. Yes. Esmond's face cleared. Now I've got it. He said. Now it's all straight. How are you, Catsmeat? I'm fine, said Catsmeat.
0: Well, that's good. Said Esmond heartily. That's splendid. He paused and started. I suppose the baying that arose at this point from the pack of ants, together with the fact that he had just tripped over his own spurs, had given him the momentary illusion that he was in the hunting field, for a yorks trembled on his lips, and he raised an arm, as if about to give his horse one on the spot where it would do the most good. The ants were a bit on the incoherent side, but gradually what you might call a message emerged from their utterances. They were trying to impress on Esmond, the fact that the accused was Corky's brother, Casmeet, merely deepened the blackness of his crime and that he was to carry on and administer the sentence as planned. Their observations would have gone stronger with Esmond if he had been listening to them, but he wasn't. His attention was riveted on Casmeat and Gertrude, who had seized the opportunity afforded by the lull in the proceedings to exchange a series of burning kisses. Are you and Gertrude going to get married? He asked. Yes. Said Catsmeat. Yes. Said Gertrude. No. Said the ants. Please. Said Esmond, raising a hand. What's the procedure? He asked, once more addressing himself to Catsmeat. Catsmeat said he thought the best scheme would be for them to nip up to London right away and put the thing through on the morrow. He had the licence all ready and waiting, he explained, and he saw no difficulties ahead that a good registry office couldn't solve. Esmond said he agreed with him and suggested that they should borrow his car, and Catsmeat said that was awfully good of him, and Esmond said not at all. Please. He added to the ants who were now shrieking like banshees. It was at this point that Constable Dobbs thrust himself forward. Oi. Said Constable Dobbs. Esmond proved fully equal to the situation.
1: I see what you're driving at, Dobbs. You very naturally wish to make a pitch, But consider, Dobbs, how slender is the evidence which you can bring forward to support your charge. You say you chased a man in a green beard and a check suit up a tree. But the visibility was very poor, and you yourself admit that you were being struck by thunderbolts all the time, which must have distracted your attention. So it is more than probable that you were mistaken. I put it to you, Dobbs, that when you thought you saw a man in a green beard and a check suit, It may quite easily have been a clean-shaven man in something quiet
0: and blue." He paused for a reply, and one could divine that the officer was thinking it over. The thing that poisons life for a county policeman, the thing that makes him pick at the coverlet and brings him out in rashes, is the ever-present fear that one of these days he may talk out of turn and get in wrong with the justice of the peace. He knows what happens when you get in wrong with the justice of the peace. They lay it in for you. They bide their time. And sooner or later they catch you bending. And the next thing you know you've drawn a strong rebuke from the bench. And if there is one experience the young copper wishes to avoid, it is being in the witness box. And having the bench look coldly at him and say something beginning with, Then are we to understand, officer. "'and culminating in the legal equivalent of the raspberry or Bronx' chair. "'It was evident to him that defiance of Esmond on the present occasion "'must inevitably lead to that.' "'I put it to you, Dobbs," said Esmond. "'Constable Dobbs sighed. "'There is, I suppose, no spiritual agony so keen as that of the Razer "'who has made a cop and seen a turn blue on him. "'But he bowed to the inevitable.'
1: "'Perhaps you're right, sir. "'Of course I'm right.' Said Esmond heartily. I knew you would see it when it was pointed out to you. We don't want any miscarriages of justice. What? No, sir. I should say not. If there's one thing that gives me the pip, it's a miscarriage of justice. Catsmeat, you're dismissed without a stain on your character. Catsmeat said that was fine, and Esmond said he thought he would be pleased. I suppose you and Gertrude aren't going to hang around spending a lot of time packing. No, we thought we'd leg it instanter. Exactly what I would have suggested.
0: If Gertrude wants clothes, said Corky, she can get them at my apartment.
1: Splendid, said Esmond,
0: Then the quickest way to
1: the garage is along
0: there. He indicated the French windows, which, the night being balmy, had been left open. He slapped cat's Meat on the back and shook Gertrude by the hand, and they trickled out. Constable Dobbs watched them recede heaved another sigh, and Esmond slapped him on the back too. "'I know just
1: how you are feeling, Dobsy. he said. "'But when you think it over, I'm sure you'll be glad you haven't been instrumental in throwing a spanner into the happiness of two young hearts in springtime. If I were you, I'd pop off to the kitchen and have a word with Queenie. There must be much that you want to
0: discuss.' Constable Dobbs's was not a face that lent itself readily to any great display of emotion. It looked as if it had been carved out of some kind of hard wood by a sculptor who had studied at a correspondence school and had got to about lesson three. But at this suggestion it definitely brightened. You're right, sir, he said, and with a brief night, all, vanished in the direction indicated. His air that of a policeman who is feeling that life while grayish in spots is not without its compensations. So that's that, said Esmond. That's that, said Corky. I think your aunts are trying to attract your attention, Angel. All through the preceding scene, though pressure of other matters prevented me mentioning it, the ants had been extremely vocal. Indeed, it would not be putting it too strongly to say that they had been kicking up their hell of a row and this row must have penetrated to the upper regions of the house, for at this moment the door suddenly opened, revealing Dame Daphne Winkworth. She wore a pink dressing gown and had the appearance of a woman who had been taking aspirins and bathing her temples with eau de cologne. Really? she said. She spoke with a goodish bit of asperity, and one couldn't fairly blame her. When you go up to your bedroom with a headache, you don't want to be dragged down again half an hour later by disturbances from below. Will someone be so kind as to tell me what is the reason for this uproar? Four simultaneous aunts were so kind. The fact that they all spoke together might have rendered their remarks hard to follow, had not the subject matter been identical. Gertrude, they said, had just eloped with Miss Peerbright's brother, "'and Esmond had not only expressed his approval of the move, "'but had actually offered the young couple his car. "'There,' they said, at the sound of an engine-gathering speed, "'and the cheery toot-toot of a klaxon, "'made itself heard in the silent night, pointing up their statement. "'Dame Daphne blinked as if she had been struck on the mazard with a wet washcloth. "'She turned on the young squire menacingly, "'and one could understand her peevishness.' There are few things more sickening for a mother than to learn her only child has eloped with a man whom she has always regarded as a blot on the species not surprising if it spoils her day esmond is this true the voice in which she spoke would have had me clambering up the wall and seeking refuge on the chandelier had she been addressing me but esmond haddock did not wilt the man seemed fearless he was like the central figure In one of those circus posters, which show an intrepid bozo in a military uniform, facing with death-defying determination, twelve murderous, man-eating monarchs of the jungle. Quite true,
1: he replied. And I really cannot have any discussion and argument about it. I acted as I deemed best, and the subject is closed. Silence, Aunt Daphne. Less of it, Aunt Emmeline. Quiet, Aunt Charlotte. Desist, Aunt Harriet. Auntie Myrtle put a sock in it. Really, the way you're going on, one would scarcely suppose that I was not the master of the house and the head of the family and that my word was law. I don't know if you happen to know it, but in Turkey, all the insubordinate stuff, these attempts to dictate to the master of the house and the head of the family would have led long before this to you being strangled with bowstrings and bunched into the Bosporus. And Daphne, you have been warned. One more yip out of you, Aunt Myrtle, and I stop your pocket money. Now then. Said Esmond Haddock, having obtained silence. Let me give you the strength of this. The reason I abetted young Gertrude in her matrimonial plans was that the man she loves is a good egg. I have this on the authority of his sister Corky, who speaks extremely well of him. And by the way, before I forget. His sister Corky and I are going
0: to be married ourselves. Correct. In every detail. Said Corky. She was gazing at him with shining eyes. One got the feeling that if she had had a table with a photograph on it, she would have been singing My Hero. Come, come. Said Esmond kindly, as the yells of the personnel
1: died away. No one need be upset about it. It won't affect you, you old dear souls. You will go on living here, if you call it living, just as you have always done. All that will happen is that you will be short one haddock. I propose to accompany my wife to Hollywood, and when she's through with her contract there, we shall set up a shack in some rural spot and grow pigs and cows and things. I think that covers everything, doesn't it? Corky said she thought it did. Right, said Esmond. Then how about a short stroll in the moonlight?
0: He led her lovingly through the French windows, kissing her en route. I edged to the door and made my way upstairs to my room. I could have stayed on and chatted with the ants, if I had wanted to, but I certainly didn't feel in the mood.